Oh! <laughs> oh, hi! Sorry, I... Oh, it's kind of a mess in here. I didn't see you come in. My name's Jackson McMurray. My name's Adeline McMurray. Oh no! My all, oh, out the window! All my stuff! Into the oh, breeze! I'm so sorry. Sorry, just let me clean up in here really quick. Yeah, just let me- just give me a second. Uh, anyway, this is No Nerds Allowed. <laughs> I knocked my microphone over. <laughs> For real though, before we get started, I'm actually gonna for real pick up all these cans that I set up to do that goof. So are I they just to... a bunch of Dr. Pepper cans that are in your room? No, it's all sparkling water now. Oh, that's right, because you've given up on life. Hold on. Who are you? I'm cleaning. No, okay, here's the thing. Now that I'm Yeah, like... I know, it's not as much sugar, whatever. No, Listen, you're an adult that. now. It's just and that, I hate like, it. now that I'm living on my own and I'm buying stuff for myself, whenever I buy Dr. Pepper, I just drink Dr. Pepper, like all the time just get diet dr pepper it's not that bad nope not no um it's way better than most diet sodas here's the thing though is that it's not even just about like it not being good for me it's just that like it ha i don't know when i like drink a soda it's like i don't know like my point is is that like a, a sparkling water you can just drink it any time, any time of the day, and just enjoy it. Those are your own hang-ups, Jackson. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. I will drink a Dr. Pepper at 9 a.m. and not even blink. <laughs> okay, sorry about because that. Because I'm on so much Dr. Pepper that my eyes no longer blink. My point is, is that, first of all, I'm drinking a lot more water. I did some research, and sparkling water does count as water. Listen, um, looking at my Diet Dr. Pepper right now, first ingredient, water. <laughs> okay, but it doesn't hydrate you, you freak. Anything with water in it hydrates you. Un this is all Adeline. freaking. This is all that hydration elitism. Untrue, Adeline. Jackson, Soda does not news. hydrate you. Fake news. And the other thing is that when you drink a soda, you feel like you just drank a soda. It has a physiological effect on you. <laughs> and when you drink a Lacroix, it's like you just drank water. It feels like you drank some water that was uh, next to a strawberry in a van. Yeah, precisely. Um, yeah, those are all just, super I good just... jokes that people do about LaCroix, about how it doesn't really taste that much like fruit. Each, yeah, what's some more of them? Each is, it tastes like if you drank water while looking at a pear, haha. <laughs> it tastes like <laughs> if you were thinking about mangoes while drinking water, haha. <laughs> They're all so good. Each is funnier than the last. Um, so you said you had something you wanted to talk about at I the do beginning. have Jackson I do have Jackson <laughs> I do have one so this is our fifth Harry nope fourth which one is this this is the fifth one you freak this is the fifth Harry Potter episode we have and we still don't know what Hogwarts house we're in Jackson oh fuck so I took a little old trip down to my good friend and neighbor BuzzFeed and uh we're gonna, we're, they're gonna help us figure oh, okay. out who we are. Wait, 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 send me a link to the same quiz. Oh no, this is horrible. This isn't even just what Hogwarts house are you in. This is your Hogwarts uh -huh. house percentage. 
Uh-huh. We're going to we're going to do some soul searching. Okay. Because uh, no one on the planet can just commit to one Hogwarts house. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah, I know. Everyone on the planet is like, "Oh, I'm a my major one is Ravenclaw, but my minor one is Slytherin because I'm just like that." <laughs> okay, here's no what I'm going to just... do. We'll do the same thing. You can ask me the questions and I'm not going to look at the questions on my end. I'm only going to scroll down to them after you've asked me them. Okay. How does that sound? Okay, yeah, because I wanted you to go in blind because okay. some of these questions are really dumb. All right. Okay. So first question. You've made it to Hogwarts. Congratulations. That oh, makes good. a lot of sense. I'm Step one. Uh, so you're 11 years old, which means you've already <laughs> bought a wand from Ollivander's. Yeah. What, ma- what material is at its core? Phoenix feather, dragon's heart string, or unicorn hair? I like dragon heart string because it's gross. I'm gonna I'm gonna do unicorn hair because I like unicorns. <laughs> That's really good because you're a girl and I'm a boy, and mine's the gross one, and yours is the pretty one. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Next next question. During the end of your exams, you notice that one of your classmates was using an enchanted quill. Are are all of them? I guess they're not. You keep top of the class anyway, but they are second. What do you do? Okay. My, option my own one. fucking business? So, so here's the thing. So there's four options. Okay. Are, and are any of them my, many, my own uh, fucking Hogwarts business? Hogwarts houses there are. Oh. <laughs> so uh, I feel like one of these might correlate to one of the houses. All right. So option number one, tell the professor immediately cheating is wrong, no matter what. <laughs> Nothing, but if I hadn't come top of the class, I'd definitely tell the professor. Encourage the other student to admit what they've done to the professor. And the last one is give them a high five for managing to sneak the quill into the exam. <laughs> I, uh, I the... wonder which one would make me a Gryffindor. Um, <laughs> the only one that I would want to say is the one where I say do nothing because who gives a shit. But that yeah. one explicitly implies that I'm, like, super stuck up and would turn them in if they did better than I did through cheating, yeah. which also so, would yeah. not be the case. So, I don't know. I guess I'll still pick do nothing. You're gonna, Oh, you're going to pick the evil option, the one for the bad guys? No, the bad one would be the high five one. No, that's the Gryffindor one. What? To high five someone who was cheating? Yeah. But to be like, if they were better than me, then I would tell. That's very slithering. Come on, Jackson. No, because you're I'm gonna say cheating is wrong, no matter what. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Sorry, you're a nerd. Next question. You would be most hurt if a person called you a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Option number one, weak. Option number two, ignorant. Option number three, unkind. Or option number four, boring. Wow, so these are actually just the Hogwarts houses, you're just picking one. Yep, 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 yep. Um, so which one do you want to be? I'll go with ignorant. I'll go. I'll go with. I'll also go with ignorant. I guess. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna remake this one and be like, you would be most hurt if a person called you a cocksucker. B. <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next question. You're locked in a duel with a school with a skilled opponent. Okay. Uh, they yeah. fire an unknown spell at you, and you shout. <laughs> Option one: Expelliarmus. <laughs> Option two. Protego, option three, stupefy, or option four, crucio. Uh, what's Protego? <laughs> I, I really don't know. I was hoping there was going to be an option that was like, ow, but <laughs> there wasn't You shout one. my lungs! <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Expelliarmus. Yeah, I think we're on yeah. the same page. It just seems I like... Mean, 
That's I mean, the one look, that shoots the wand out of the hand. Yeah, none of these are going to stop you from getting hit by that unknown spell, but whatever. Also, That's, I'm 11. You're Why very am I locked right in about a duel? <laughs> yeah, win the duel, get the wand out of their hand. And also, B, you're still going to get hit by whatever that spell <laughs> right, is. Yeah. Okay, let's okay. move on. Oh, uh, this one is deep. Okay. It's your fifth year at Hogwarts, so now you're 15. Oh, okay. And you've received now. a howler from your parents. What for? Option one, sneaking into the for- Forbidden Forest at night on a dare. Number oh. two, getting caught cheating in my divination owl. Number three, being put in detention after I was caught in the library after hours. <laughs> or nothing. I never do anything to warrant a howler. Uh, D, nothing. I'm perfect. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Is there an option to not ha- not choose an option? Because I'll choose that <laughs> option every time. How long I'll is do- this quiz? Uh, that's a good question. I didn't check, so we're just going to find out. Uh, I'm going to put be put in detention for being in the library after hours. Okay. Oh, uh, hey, there's several kids, so we're just going <laughs> <laughs> to... Listen, we've we just... there's at least seven more, so we're just going to go. Which of these Dumbledore quotations speaks to you? Number one, <laughs> pity the living, and above all, those who live without love. Number two, words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. Oh. Number three, it matters not what someone is born, but what they grow to be. And number four, it does not to dwell on dreams and forget to live. I'm going to go with that third one because it makes me think about Mewtwo. It does. Uh, I'll t- the words one. Okay, which of, <laughs> which of these most accurately describes your relationship with your closest friends? A, I love surrounding myself with people. The most, the more friends I have, the better. And next one is, I have a very, I have, whoa, Jesus, I can't read. I have a few very close friends that I would trust with my life. I tend to be wary around new people, so I don't make new friends often. Or, I find myself becoming friends with people who can be, who can help me to succeed. Um. No friends? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think about it. <laughs> Let's see. I don't know. I hate all these options. Yeah. How do you feel about your friends, Jackson? Do you love them? <laughs> I'm just going to say no friends. Oh, yeah. I'm, yep. I have very few close friends. I would trust with my life. Uh, which of your skills are you most proud of? A, your ability to bone down hard. B. <laughs> <laughs> you stole it from me. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, my ability to absorb new information. My ability to make new friends, my ability to get what I want, or my ability to keep secrets. Like, just pick a Hogwarts house. <laughs> yeah, I'll take absorb new information. Yeah, oh, that's Reverend cool. The first Quidditch match of the season is approaching, and you can't wait to get involved. What role are you playing? Seeker, I want the glory. Chaser, I like to be involved and work as part of the team. Beater, I like having all the power. Or the last one is, I'll be in the crowd, making sure supporter morale is high. <laughs> I like that they can't even just let you pick one. No. They have to tell you what you're feeling if you pick that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to you... go with beater because it reminds me of masturbation. Wow, wow, wow. I'll be in the crowd making supporting the morale. <laughs> you're allowed a pet at Hogwarts, an owl, a cat, or a toad. Which do you bring? Toad, uh, it's an owl, snake. a cat, or a toad, or nothing. I can't be trusted to look after a pet. I'm going to go with a toad. I'm going to go with cat. I've been wanting a cat recently. I don't know why. That's just some insight into my life. <laughs> Next question. 
It's Saturday. You finished your homework. <laughs> Not likely. And you have some free time. You decide to spend some time away from your common room. Where do you go? The Forbidden Forest, the library, <laughs> the kitchens, the room of requirement. I'm going to the library. <laughs> okay. <What? laughs> okay, first of all, the room of requirement isn't somewhere you can just stop by, can, right? Yeah, we just... just watched the film in which that was a major plot point. Um, I'm going to say the Forbidden Forest just because my answers are all over the place and I like this persona I'm building of this person who just doesn't make any sense. It's just going to be like 25, 25, 25, 25, <laughs> yeah. and that's what we're going to get. Okay. What would you see in the mirror of a rise? That's really personal. <laughs> Iris. Okay, first of all, Iris said. Whatever. Listen, it's a made-up word. <laughs> Option A, myself, surrounded by riches. B, myself, surrounded by my loving family and friends. C, myself, knowledgeable of both all. Or number four, myself, experiencing a marvelous adventure. We get it? It's a mirror. You're gonna see yourself. I don't like the, the Ravenclaw answer incorporates this idea of like superiorism yeah like what the fuck is up with that like how about just myself living my best life with the knowledge i've obtained why does it have to be that i'm like dominating everybody else people are super rude to ravenclaws they say that we like to read and nothing else we're multifaceted (laughs) Uh, okay i guess i'll just say experiencing a marvelous adventure surrounded by my loving family and friends Okay, next. Okay, so now we're gonna commit some crimes. Uh, choose a Deathly Hollow, uh, the Elder Wand, the Resurrection Stone, or the Cloak of Invisibility. Um, let's see. I'll go. I don't know. I'll go with the Resurrection Stone. I, I'm doing the cloak so I can walk into gas stations and steal candy bars. Oh, nice. Okay, which path do you tend to follow after leaving Hogwarts? A. I join the Ministry. I want to make a difference in the world. B. I think I traveled for a while before committing to a career, so you're just gonna bum around in England for a little bit. C. I'd settle down and start a family as soon as possible. Or D. I'd continue to work hard in order to achieve as much success as possible. I like this question because it's clearly a very difficult one since there is only one job in the magic world. Yeah, be a wizard. (laughs) Which is to work for the ministry because as far as I can tell, no other jobs exist in the wizarding world besides maybe being a shopkeep. Yeah, for a very specific store. (laughs) I like D because it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with D because it is just asinine. It doesn't mean... I, I will continue to work hard. Like, okay, <laughs> I'll I'll join the ministry because that's the only job that there can be. Okay, last question. We know that the story hat takes into account your preferences. So which Hogwarts house do you feel you, you identify with the most? So it's just... <laughs> it's just going to ask you. Just pick okay, a that's house. a thing, though. That's a thing, though, because... That is a thing. The, that's what the sorting hat asks you. Okay. You were right. Do you want to hear my bullshit percentages? <laughs> Wait, what did you pick for that one? I picked Ravenclaw. Oh, me too. It said you are 34% Ravenclaw, 24% Slytherin, 22% Hufflepuff, and 20% Gryffindor. I know. These are so <laughs> these are so stupid. Okay, I got 43% Ravenclaw, 26% Hufflepuff, 21% Gryffindor, 10% Slytherin. Like, it's just... Nice. The Sorting Hat is so stupid because you clicked on this quiz knowing which house you wanted to go into. Like, uh-huh, look yeah. look into that truthful mirror. You were like, man, I <laughs> hope I get whatever. 
And then, and then what's stupid about the sorting hat is that, like, the fact that you already know what you want to be in is it basically just puts you there. So I'm just saying all of these quizzes are BS because you already know where you want to go. I have found a quiz in my in the little recommendations that almost feels oh like a parody of BuzzFeed. Do you want to hear what it is? Everybody is sure. 50% Disney princess, 50% Harry Potter character. Who are you? I mean, listen, if I'm a 13-year-old girl... <laughs> And, but, and I and, got nothing better to do. Look, we all know that everybody is 50% Disney princess and 50% Harry Potter character, right? Don't you want to know yeah. which one of both of those things that you are? Because you are. Everyone knows this. Everyone yeah, is. Yeah, because everyone is half, either half of that or half of the other thing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, I really <laughs> don't want to view the 641 comments. I really don't. <laughs> we should have done anyway, the official do you one. Wanna... Oh, I've done that one. It's lame. Oh, okay, fine then. The Potter, the Pottermore one? Yeah. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. This sex quiz will determine which Hogwarts house you belong to. Nice! Didn't, they, didn't J.K. Rowling say that nobody fucks at Hogwarts except for the Hufflepuffs who jerk themselves off? Yep, 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 yep. So no, the, this... like, the, like, picture for the quiz is that one scene where Harry and uh, Hermione make out in Ron's Nightmare. Right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the yeah. only even vaguely sexual part of any of these movies. Yeah, it's it's not a sexual series because um they're a, mainly about uh, children under the age of eighteen years old. Right. So uh, do you want to talk about so, uh, hey, this movie? Yeah, let's talk about the movie. I'm gonna so, close okay. out of the internet. Yeah, me too. Because this BuzzFeed quiz is like really bogging down my computer. Yeah, I know. Is it? <laughs> BuzzFeed needs to get their shit together because I got that little warning from Google Chrome that's like, hey, um, this website's fucking up your computer. Do you want to stop? Yeah. <laughs> you want to you wanna get off of BuzzFeed? <laughs> um, okay. So this is, I feel like, this is a hot take. Okay. I've liked each of these movies better than the last so far. Yeah. No, I really, really, really like this movie. Me too. Well, um, it- well, this this Order of the Phoenix was always my favorite book of the series because I loved the heist at the end so yeah. much. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world when I read it. And it's been a long time since I've read it, but I still remember that this was my favorite book of the series. Yeah, totally. But yeah, so there was something I was looking into that I just want to touch on. Um, touch it. Which is that um, all of the Harry Potter movies have the same credited writers. One is J.K. Rowling, and the other one is uh, a guy named Steve Cloves, or Cloves. Um, except Cloves. for um, this one, except for Order of the Phoenix, which has a different writer, um, which is just super weird. I don't know what happened that made that the case. Yeah. But, <laughs> what um, falling out happened. <laughs> right. Um, but it's weird because he came back for the next one and they kicked that other guy out again. So uh, David David Heyman, or no, sorry, he's the producer. Um, Michael Goldenberg wrote this one with J.K. Rowling um, rather than Steve Cloves. Cloves. Huh. I don't know. It's spelled with a K. It makes me think it might be Cloves. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, who knows? Um, but like, I feel like I can kind of tell because this movie is sort of it has a much more traditional screenplay i think than the other ones do mm-hmm. like it's very much interested in like setting up ideas early on that pay off in a really specific way 
in the climax, right? Yeah. Which is, like, super, like, traditional screenwriting that the other movies aren't necessarily quite as interested in. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think... I think... And I know nothing about the writers other than they were involved in these movies, but, like, all the other ones so far, they really seemed like the emphasis was not on it being a standalone screenplay. The emphasis was on this as a adaptation of a book. Like, it was very much following the, like, script that the book had laid out and following that as best they could in the format that they had chosen. Well, this one feels a little bit more oriented in, like, an actual screenplay, like you said, like, setting up things that come back later and, like, telling you things about the world and being more creative with stuff. Like, it just seems like a very different, like, kind of writing, you know? Yeah, no, totally. Um, But, like, you know, there's not a lot of, like... There's not a lot of Chekhov's guns in these stories, you know? And No, not individually, at least. Yeah. Um, and this movie is all about... I, I can't remember if that's really the case in the book, to the same extent. I have not read them in so long. I couldn't yeah. speak to it. But, like, um, pretty much every, like, scene in this movie is, like, setting up something that comes back in the third act. Mm-hmm. Um I wrote that down, um, and now I can't think of any of the examples. Well, you've got, like, Harry's dreams throughout the whole movie that end up as being, like, what leads him to the actual final act, and you've got, like, things like Dumbledore not being nice to Harry and kind of avoiding Harry and how that gets resolved at the end of the film. You get, I mean, you have Harry teaching Dumbledore's army all of these spells, and then they use those spells in the first act. That's what it was. That's what I was thinking of most. Like, them, like, learning how to defend themselves, and then at the end of the movie, them having to actually defend themselves. Mm -hmm. They set up the Thestrals at the very beginning for the first time, and they pay off because they ride them in order to get to the place. They set up just the location of the finale really early. Mm -hmm. Like, they show you the Department of Mysteries first, and then they bring you back there. They talk about the centaurs. I think it's a throwaway line. Yeah, they, they, they set you up for the centaurs. And they use Hagrid's giant brother as another one of these, which I don't think they really had to because I don't think it really works. But No, he doesn't really fine. do anything. It's um, fine. Yeah, it's just there's – it's – yeah, I guess I don't really have anything else to say besides that. But it's just – like I said, it's just like a really traditional method of screenwriting. And I think it really, really works in this. Yeah, as, as much as I really enjoy this movie – I think the opening scene of the movie is absolutely the worst in the whole film. Yeah, it's a little bit weird because there's a lot that I really like about it. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that keeps it from being really good is I think the score just doesn't really do what it should be doing, I think. <clears throat> yeah, I. It for me, it was more... I'm talking about that opening opening scene where it's Terry and Dudley and Dudley's bully friends at the playground and then they get attacked by the Dementors. Right. And it's, it, I think what I don't like about it is that it, it doesn't feel like it's a part of the world. Like they're just, they're just in this weird abandoned playground that they're on for, they're in for some reason. Well, because Harry's a very moody teen and he likes to sulk. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But then, so there's no one around and that happens and it gets spooky and they go to run home. And then they're in this weird tunnel that they don't give you any, like, you just, you don't know where anything is or what they're doing. Like, it just seems like weird random set pieces that we're, like, jumping to. Because then they're in the spooky tunnel where the Dementors attack them and Harry uses the Patronus spell. 
Right. And it's it, it just seems so disconnected from the rest of the film, even though it very directly leads into what's about to happen. It just feels weirdly disconnected, you know? <clears throat> yeah. No, and it's... Um... I want to say, though, that there are, like, a handful of things in that opening scene that I do still really like, though. Like, the, uh, like, just that moment where Harry, like, runs up to him and whips out his wand at him, and all of Dudley's friends start laughing at him, but yeah. Dudley, just, like, his eyes get super wide because he gets it and his friends don't. I thought that yeah. was super clever. Um, and the way they shoot, like, Dudley and his gang, where they've just got that really static shot, where Dudley's, like, smack dab in the center of the frame, and you just see, like, his friends, like all around him it's like a super weird and interesting shot it's like a weird paul thomas anderson thing i don't know it was super interesting um it just makes dudley seem just so like because the i think the rest of the movies well because the rest of the movies dudley's been like a little kid right like he's just been this spoiled little brat but now when he's like he's been aging with harry and now he's like He's a, not an adult, but he's grown up like Harry. So it's like, exactly, I don't know. Yeah. It's showing that he's more like, as Harry has developed, like Dudley has also gotten worse is kind of what that's, right. that shot really shows you. Yeah. And as well as that, I like just the writing decision of the like heat wave that they're, that they set up. Because yeah. you can feel it like right from the beginning. It's just one of those things. It's like making your movie a Christmas movie. Yeah. It just like it gives you sort of a context for the world that you can incorporate little bits of and it just adds like some creative I don't know, inspiration to whatever yeah. it is you're doing. And I mean I think it just it's helps really your fun. visuals. Exactly, yeah. Like it gives you it gives you something really specific that you can do, you know, that like sets it apart from other things. And I think it's super interesting. It's almost a bummer that this is a movie that takes place over the course of a whole year and they couldn't yeah. just have it be like this hot summer the whole movie. Um, yeah, I, I mean, thought that do... was a super fun decision. I well, also wrote down... Oh, go ahead. Being... What's fun about having it being over the whole year is that I feel like you get to do that, but you get to do that, like, four times, you know? Like, you get to pick right. the, what it looks like for every season. I think the Harry Potter movies do such a good job of doing that, because yeah, there's always, really like... There's always, like, a Christmas scene or a winter scene, and then suddenly everything looks different for, like, that portion of the movie, and, like, you get... You basically get four chances to do something really cool with the setting. Right, yeah. Um, I, I wrote down also that, like, uh, Vernon, that actor and the decisions that he makes, worked yeah. really well in the first movie. Yeah. They do not work here. <laughs> like, the I mean, tone has just, shifted so drastically. Yeah. It's just, it's not really funny anymore. I mean, well, it's just back when it was very cartoony during the first exactly. movie. It's him being a stage actor and being equally cartoony totally worked. But now when we're kind of like in the real world and he's still acting like a character from Matilda, it just right. doesn't it just doesn't work. Yeah. And it sort of it also just made me realize like how different and distinct each of these movies has felt so far. Oh yeah. Like it's really interesting because they've all had different directors with the exception of the first two being Chris Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um and this movie so like the first two were chris columbus the third one was alfonso Cuarón, mm-hmm. and um the fourth one is a director who did not go on to do anything interesting whose name is mike newell let me just check my facts on that he also directed the prince of persia with jake gyllenhaal oh um, that movie that uh, uh, everyone saw yeah and uh, he, he's best known for directing four weddings and a funeral um so oh 
I don't even know if he's working anymore. Anyway. Um, <laughs> is he still alive? <laughs> I don't know. Um, my point is, is he's not like a named director, right? Yeah. Um, and this one is uh, David Yates, who is going to be the director of every Harry Potter movie from then on. Um, the good Harry Potter movies. Well, yeah, so he, but not even necessarily because he did the rest of these Harry Potter movies and he also directed both of the Fantastic Beasts also. Like he oh. is just the Harry Potter guy now. Um, That's fun. Which I think is super interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's almost, I don't know, I'm kind of bittersweet on it because I think, I don't know, I'll have to reevaluate this once we finish all of them, I guess. But I do really like the work he does on these latter four movies. Yeah. But I also kind of appreciate the the differences that come with having each one be a different director, you know? Yeah, I absolutely. feel kind of the same way about Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible was famous for having a different director every movie really specifically. And they went through, you know, they went from, uh, shoot, what's his name? Brian De Palma to John Woo to J.J. Abrams to uh, Brad Bird. And now... Uh, with Rogue Nation and Fallout, they were both done by Chris McQuarrie, who I love. And I love those two newest Mission Impossible movies. I think they're, like, way better than any of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but now he's going to do the next two also. Chris McQuarrie is going to do four Mission Impossible movies. It's, like, exactly the same trajectory as the Harry Potter movies. And it's, yeah. like, on the one hand, I really like his work and I think he's doing really good stuff. But I also just appreciated the diversity of, like having a different guy in charge of each one, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think that just comes down to where the industry is at because it's do you, with like, quote unquote, blockbusters like these movies, like, do you want to go with someone who you know is going to make a good movie or do you want to take a risk and hire someone else and just like right. that kind of thing? And yeah, I totally agree with you. I think, well, I also just think being, getting like... <laughs> We take, I think we, like, kind of take directing as a profession, like, kind of for granted. Like, we have, like, only, like, a couple, like, dozen, like, directors that, like, are, like, in the popular subconscious. But there's, like, 10 billion other directors that never get to direct a movie, you know? And so I love giving directors, like, as many opportunities as possible so like i don't i don't want everything to be jj abrams i don't want everything to be the same director over and over again right even if i do love those directors because if i want to grow up and be a director i would like to also direct a movie please (laughs) right yeah no and i feel almost the same way about marvel a little bit because like in the first two sort of phases of marvel They, like, switched up directors a lot, and, like, as a result, a lot of different movies had a lot of different tones and ideas in them. Like, Iron Man, the first two were Jon Favreau, and then they brought in Shane Black for the third one, which was super different and great. I watched Um, the third one yesterday, and it's so good. It's It's the best Iron Man movie. Iron Man 3 is a really good movie, and everybody who says otherwise can suck my small dick. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, like, every Thor movie had, like, a different director, you know? But and the first for, two are bad. Yeah, but like, but they're they're all different though. Like they all have yeah. their own unique voices. Oh, um, absolutely. And now Except Marvel's for Jane in a Foster, place. Who fuck? Okay, I'm interrupting your whole spiel real quick. Me and my friends have been going through the Marvel movies because one of my friends hasn't seen them, and we just like watched a bunch of them yesterday. Right. But we also watched Thor two, and Jane Foster in that movie makes me want to die. She does nothing. 
but lust after Thor and pass out. That's her whole okay. character throughout the whole movie. She does that like seven times and she never does anything. And I don't want Natalie Portman to be she Thor. Okay, cool. Can I? Continue? Yes, I'm so sorry. Okay. I just, I can't. Um, But now we're in a place where like Marvel seems to have like settled down, you know, they're like, okay, mm-hmm. here's Black Panther. Those are going to be Ryan Coogler always. Here's yeah. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. That's going to be James Gunn away. always. Yeah, Scott Derrickson's doing Doctor Strange, and James Gunn's doing Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, I mean, we'll bring and even in some Taika Waititi people. is doing the next Thor. Exactly. Yeah, Taika Waititi's on Thor now. It's just like you know, they're you know, obviously they're bringing in people for their new like properties. You know, yeah. there's Kate Shortland doing Black Panther and Chloe Zhao doing Eternals and all that stuff. Um, but it's still, like, I just, there's a part of me that wishes they would have gotten somebody different for Doctor Strange, somebody different for Black Panther 2. I thought that would have been a really fun, like, way to get some new blood in and just keep things interesting. But, I don't know, I guess if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't know, it's just, yeah. I kind of wish there was a little more, I don't even mean, like, diversity in terms of, like, the kinds of people. I just mean, like, different people, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and and don't get me wrong, it would be radical if we could get a female director at Marvel. Um three already i know but that's out of how many (laughs) yeah okay but yeah so anyway david yates does great work in this much like chris mcquarrie on mission impossible much like taika waititi on thor i still kind of wish there were more people involved but whatever um yeah totally the um i i mean one of the what i love about this movie is that it, it explores a lot of more parts of the wizarding world that we haven't talked about especially like the ministry of magic right but i love i forget her name i didn't write it down but i love this just old lady squib character who just like kind of lives across the street and like right. knows about magic like i think that's just <laughs> such a great little thing to toss in right and like in the books harry talks about like this was like a lady who would just like babysit him every once in a while and like i just right. like that's such like a great just little just little piece of flavor and i really like yeah. it um the sorry one second oh i love the way they introduce mad eye moody um because <laughs> as soon as he comes in the door harry's like professor moody it's like no he was never a professor harry not no, once was, was he never. a professor and they like act like they have a relationship which they yep. super don't yeah because it wasn't moody in the it last movie him. but we're just gonna completely ignore it <laughs> it's just so funny to me that they just like they treat it as if that was moody the whole time even though it wasn't. yeah that makes me laugh going um, back just a little bit because the whole thing was that Harry gets that letter that's like you've been expelled from Hogwarts because you use magic, but it's it's the Ministry trying to set him up. Right. But what makes me laugh so much is that the letter is marked confidential, but it's also a howler, <laughs> right, which yeah. yells what is written on it at max volume, <laughs> and that's just another another little dash on the long long tally of every time that magic is stupid in the wizarding world right. um i also i just noted that like i feel like tonks's character is just really juvenile in this movie yeah it's i remember it being a lot better in the books because yeah the only thing that she says in the whole movie is i told you don't call me nymphadora which is just yeah. like such an immature thing to do i don't know yeah. like if and especially if, because we're having the conversation about whether or not to involve harry because he's young it seems weird to have 
a character like Tonks, who is very immature, but it's just 100% of all the things that are going on in the Order of the right. Phoenix, you know? And I don't even mean necessarily, like, immature in, like, a quirky way. I just mean, like, that response to somebody, like, calling you a name you don't like. Like, if they, she, yeah. like, if he had said that and she, like, rolled her eyes or was like, fucking quit it. Like, something like that. Like, I would be totally, I would get the same idea and it'd be fine. But, yeah. like, getting angry and, like, don't do that. Is like it just feels so childish. It's just yeah. like because in the books she's like supposed to be like she she's like the cool or older character. Yeah, that's like what her character is. She's like she's like twenty and she's got her hair that changes colors and she can like change her body and all that stuff. Yeah, she's, she's like your cool. cool uncle. Yeah, exactly. She's like your cool older cousin. But in this movie, because she's not a part of the movie, she just kind of she's just yeah. kind of there. And she just kind of does some things for comic relief, and then we never see her ever again. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It just seems weird that they, like... I would have just almost preferred if they just, like, did the same thing they did with Kingsley Shacklebolt. Just be like, here's these other guys. We're not going to hear from them. They're just there. And yeah. maybe, you know, maybe they'll do more later. But as of right now, they're just background, and that's fine. Just, you know, They're just establishing that they exist. Like, that's yeah. all we're doing. And it makes me laugh because when they go to go pick up Harry. It's Mad-Eye Moody, Tonks, and the third guy whose name I cannot remember. Is it the African guy? Yeah. Yeah, Kingsley Shacklebolt. Oh, is that Kingsley? Gotcha. But yeah. yeah. So we have those three characters and then two other wizards who we will never get a name for or <laughs> right. see ever again. They're just they're just there. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the next thing I have written down after the fact that that flying sequence is really, really pretty. Yeah. Um, the next thing I have written down, I just said cool racist elf serious (laughs) yeah (laughs) well well, let's see the thing with the racist elf is that there's layers yeah layer one uh you you own a living being serious (laughs) you you have a slave that's what that is b it's a racist slave (laughs) yeah so we're mixing our metaphors here in a weird yeah there's a lot of layers here and i'm kind of uncomfortable (laughs) with all of them Um, but yeah at the same time i do really like this idea that like sirius comes from this like long pureblood family um i think that's a super interesting just like character motivation and i think that creature does sort of tie into it in an interesting sort of way but i just we can't keep talking about house elves on this podcast it makes me so uncomfortable like Um, with all of the things that this book series does right about all of the conversations that it has just the house elves, just like all of the like conversations they have about like other magical races, just make me deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I, I like I, the Hermione jump scare that we get. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, which is weird because this movie doesn't like do that really ever again. Yeah, it's just, right. it's, it's not just a suspenseful what, movie. No, it's just it's like oh, this spooky weird house. Ah, Hermione. That's just, that's what the scene is. Well, because I remember in the, I think it's either the seventh or the eighth movie, where they just, Harry, Hermione, and Ron come back here for a little bit, and it's like a deeply frightening place. I think that's really fun. Right. And then like saying it up, we're like, in this context, it's like a happy context where everyone is here, and even though it is a deeply spooky place, like there's a, a lot of people here and we're doing a lot of things, so like you don't, like the spookiness like doesn't come through. Right. But then when we get to in the other films where it's just the three of them and you feel like the spookiness of the black house like coming through, like that's rad. Yeah. Um and I really like 
that like moment like because they set up really early in the movie that there's like some tension between Dumbledore and Harry. Yeah. Um, like right when they keep saying like everybody was telling us not or Dumbledore kept telling us not to talk to you, Harry. And Harry is like, obviously Dumbledore's not there and they don't know why. And Harry just has to be like, what the fuck? Why? Yeah. Like what's going on? Um, and I just think it's a really cool way to like set up sort of that piece of conflict early. Um, yeah. But I, I also, I love... they walk kind of a tightrope with this movie regarding Dumbledore. And I think they do it super well mm-hmm. where it's like they have to show that Dumbledore's not just like being an asshole and doesn't like Harry anymore because when he shows up to his like trial, he like is clearly making tremendous effort to be there and defend him and be on his side. And like that moment where he walks in and he's like, Oh, I just happened to show up three hours early when clearly he like came over as quickly as he could, you know? Yeah. Um, Because they had intentionally moved a time to try and get Dumbledore. Exactly. And the fact that he's like subverting people and like breaking the rules and like doing everything he can to defend Harry, like really sets you up to be like, he still cares really deeply and they still have a relationship and he's so cool (laughs) just in general. But like at the same time, there's this weird tension that Harry just doesn't understand. I think it's a super smart piece of conflict. I think I, I remind me what the actor's name is. I'm really bad at actor names. Michael Gambon. Yeah, his performance as Dumbledore in this movie is just really, really good. Like he, I agree. like he walks that line super well, <clears throat> and like you just, I feel like we see a whole bunch of different sides of Dumbledore in this movie. Even though it's kind of the point of the movie is that we don't see Dumbledore a lot. Yeah, like I, we, we see like stern Dumbledore and we see everyday Dumbledore, but like it's the first time where like Dumbledore has really kind of had to like face adversities like head on and directly like with umbridge and but like also literally with voldemort and i just i don't know i think we see a a lot of really cool sides of dumbledore i agree um oh but i was gonna say i love that shot when we get right i i don't know what the movie calls that house i'm gonna keep calling it the black house but when we first get to that building and and harry walks in and he sees everybody talking like he sees like lupin and sirius and stuff and molly (laughs) immediately stands up and closes the door and separates Harry from right. everyone else on the other side of that room. And that's just such a perfect, like, it just immediately sets the tone and it's so good. Right. No, yeah, and I think it's really interesting that, like, a big theme of this movie is the fact that, like, the whole story isn't just about these kids anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, because previously all these movies have taken place pretty much entirely in Hogwarts, right? Like, yeah. everything happens is just in Hogwarts. Um And you're not really necessarily hearing from anybody besides just, like, the kids most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, obviously not all the time because there's, like, other ancillary characters that are doing different things. It's like Hogsmeade. But, like, in this movie particularly, like, all the other characters have a lot more agency. Like, um, specifically, like, the Order of the Phoenix members, but also the teachers at Hogwarts. The students are, like, interacting with the teachers in a really different way in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, and especially, I love McGonagall in this movie. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, McGonagall in this movie and the way that Dumbledore has to sort of intervene in different ways. And, like, it's just, I mean, I guess just what I already said is the best way to say it. Like, all the adults have a lot more agency in this movie. And I think that's really interesting. Sort of, like, mm-hmm. these kids are being brought into the real conflict of like what's happening yeah. in the in the bigger world you know yeah it hasn't been because the other movies have kind of been like kids v the world and now it's it's kind of dividing that world in half of now we have like you you are a part of the world and it's not it's other people are a part of this and other people have right, agency yeah. and there's other things going on 
And it's, yeah, no, like, and it's totally, they're in this age group where it's, like, you start to be at a point in your life where you can, like, talk and have conversations and, like, kind of be with friends adults. with adults now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's a really good sort of coming-of-age metaphor as well as it is a really smart plot development. I think it's yeah. really, I think it's really where cool. Where you start to see teachers as people rather than just teachers. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, uh, I, 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 oh, my God, I just had my mind explode. I, I think... <laughs> I I enjoy the Ministry of Magic on several different levels. I think the set design of it is really, really fun. I love that, like, black stone and, like, that one wall of windows that just, like, goes yeah. on forever. And, like, those awesome golden fountains that have, yeah, like... Man. I wish they would focus on them more. Because I remember in the book... Because the whole thing in the book is that when Voldemort takes over, he changes what those statues look like. And so it's kind of important to know what the statues were before that. And I don't even remember if the movies touch on that. Right. But the whole point, it's like this kind of like symbol of equality. It's like a centaur and an elf and a wizard, like all together. And that's the point of it. And then Voldemort changes it to like this throne that's like made out of the contorted forms of muggles. And it's just like, <laughs> right. I, that's just like such a cool symbol to have in the ministry. Especially when, as of right now, we are kind of against the ministry and the ministry is doing evil things. But to, like, kind of, it's this weird juxtaposition because you have, like, this, like, huge symbol of equality in the middle of the ministry while they are kind of actively working against it. And I just think right. that's a really cool thing to set up, especially when we're talking about, like, a government. Yeah. And it's interesting because I like the the way that they play with that sort of, like, oppressive government theme in this. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like the Ministry's on Voldemort's side, right? Yeah. It's just easier for them to not deal with it, is basically what it comes around to. Yeah. Um, they're not, like, a sadistic organization that's helping Voldemort. They just are, like... I mean, they say it really explicitly in the movie. They're just afraid and they're kind of in denial. They just don't want to deal with the reality of the situation, you know, mm -hmm. which I think is a really interesting and really sort of nuanced way to to think about that. Mm -hmm. And, it, it, you know, obviously it goes a lot and it does a lot for um, Harry's like specific arc in the movie, this feeling of like being isolated and feeling like everybody's against him. And, mm -hmm. like, just being angry about a lot of things yeah. in this movie. Well, because if it was just, if Harry's whole thing was, like, just, like, these bad people are against me, then I feel like he wouldn't feel so alone. It's the uh -huh. fact that, it's like, my friends and my family and this force of general, <laughs> this general force of good is against me and making my life hell. Like, that right. is much worse than just, oh, the bad guys are being bad, you know? It's the good guys are being bad. Yeah. Um, I also just want to say that that first nightmare sequence we get, they, like, it's this really sort of, like, abstract sort of filmmaking they employ where you get mm -hmm. these, like, really quick shots of just, like, different parts of Harry's body, like his muscles, like, tensing and spasming. Yeah. Um, and it's super evocative. I really like it. Um, and it just goes to, like, it It really, like, evokes the feeling of, like, a, a bad nightmare that you're just waking up from. And you just feel mm -hmm. your body, like, being tense and, like, your adrenaline's all up and you're, like, looking around and there's nothing there anymore, yeah. you know? <laughs> Sorry, I was um, just thinking. So, a few nights ago, I, like, was, like, half asleep and I, like, sat up. 
And I have, my desk is right next to my bed. So my desk, my desk chair had like a coat on it that I thought was a person because I like just woken up. But what was funny is that I audibly screamed and no one woke up. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just screaming by myself in the middle of the night until I realized that it was a jacket and stopped screaming. But then I didn't wake anyone up. So I just went back to bed. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> yep. Um... The uh, okay, I want to talk about Professor Trelawney because mm-hmm. I have a weird relationship with her character. I think she's great. Well, I, I mean, yeah, obviously, but like, not that I don't like her as an idea in the story, but like, yeah. we've established that she can't really see the future, right? Like, she she is like this avatar for whatever vague fate force like delivers prophecies right yeah and that in certain situations she can like see the future when she like goes into this trance but like in terms of the kinds of things that she's teaching kids she's completely incapable of it so like yeah i do kind of think that maybe she shouldn't be teaching it for real though the the thing that what she's teaching is incompetent doesn't is that's Hermione's opinion that's the opinion that we get is that's Hermione's opinion because like in that scene I think it's in the third movie yeah no yeah it's it's in the third movie where we see her doing stuff and she like totally gets like Harry's birthday wrong and stuff in the books she's actually saying Voldemort's birthday so she is actually Doing what she's supposed to be doing, but she's just getting the wrong person because Harry's two people, you know? Like, that's a part of it, is that she's not a quack. She is good at what she's teaching. She's just weird, and her kind of real powers are hidden. So, yeah. Like, she is teaching, and she's teaching well. It's just she's just a weirdo, and sometimes it doesn't come through all the way, you know? But I don't think that's the position that these movies take. No. Especially in the third one, we see her almost entirely as, like, this fraud that, like... And then there's that scene where it's, like... I don't even know if they say it explicitly. I remember it from the book, at least. But there's that scene where she, like, goes into this trance and she, like, gives this prophecy to Harry. Um, And I remember, like, she did that to Dumbledore once also, and that's what got her the job. Um, But, like, it still just feels... It feels like, you know, she can do that. She is this thing. And it's not like she's without value as a person, but just like, yeah, maybe you should get somebody who's good at the actual thing that you're trying to teach kids to do to teach them. I don't know. Um, I think think the movies are kind of set because I don't think she is a quack. I think the movies want you to think that she is one, though. And I think that's part of the like it. Because at that point, it's more about her as a person. And that's why Dolores seems so evil. Because the movie wants you to think she's a quack, but she's a good person. And so Dolores is evil. And then while Dumbledore and McGonagall probably both know that she's not a quack, she's a good teacher and she's good at prophecies. But what we see and what's important is that she's a good person and Dolores does this to her anyway. You know? Yeah. I guess, yeah. I guess what the movie wants you to feel... Is that like, oh, we all know she's a fraud, but she's but lovable and quirky, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, just for me personally, I can't necessarily 
like back that up. I don't know. I mean, I said it twice already, but it's just like, uh, yeah, I don't think you should be teaching, but you're on the wrong side of history. <laughs> I guess so. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just an interesting relationship that the movie has with this character that I just don't feel like totally. Yeah. You're meshes. way ahead in the movie. <laughs> okay. What do you have? I mean, first, this is just, I write down little things that I like about movies, but like, I love, Padfoot, I love that little wolfhound that Sirius turns into. It's just the cutest dog, and it's just got such, like, a witchy vibe to it. I love it a lot. Right. <laughs> that vision that Harry gets when he's getting on the train of Voldemort in, like, that slick, like, black suit is just... Oh, it's so good. So cool. Like, I don't know. It's just, like, it... Something about putting Voldemort in a suit just, like, places him so much in reality. Like, yeah. it, it's weird, especially because he's just, like, in a crowd of people, and then he just kind of, like, the crowd just kind of, like, parts, and, like, there's Voldemort, like, around people. Like, it's just such a good shot. Right. And we come back to it several times. Man, it's just it's just great. Yeah, and it sort of symbolizes that, like, that, that really could be, because people don't believe that he's around. So if he were to show up, people wouldn't necessarily be any of the wiser if he wasn't yeah. making yeah, a spectacle Voldemort's of such himself, a good you know? Villain. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The next thing I have written down is, you know, just about all the Umbridge stuff. So if you have anything before yeah. that, I implore you to keep I, going. I genuinely love Luna Lovegood's character in just like the whole series. I think she's one of the best written characters. Yeah. And it's just like, I love that moment when they're getting on the, they're getting on the carts. And Harry is kind of freaking out because this is the first time he's seen the thistles. What are they called? Thestrals. 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 It's a made-up word. Leave me alone. The okay. Thestrals. And he's like freaking out, and Luna's just like, "No, I can see them too." It's just like she, she's just written so well, and she's just like a sweet, nice, innocent person. And then we are pretty much explicitly told that she has been through some horrible stuff. And then yeah. just the way that, like, she and Harry connect just, like, immediately is just very good. I like it a lot. Yeah. And she's really interesting me just in terms of, like, thinking about J.K. Rowling. Because, mm-hmm. like, th- <laughs> we've talked about this before, but, like, the gender politics of Harry Potter are very, very old school. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's, you know, it's still very much about, oh, boys and girls and they're different and like all that kind of stuff yeah you have the emotional capacity of a teaspoon yeah and like especially when we're talking about even in this movie there's like that moment where ron and hermione have that little duel and then ron's hanging out with the boys afterwards like oh i let her do that because i'm a boy and i have to be better at everything than girls and the girls are like haha it is so funny that we sticked it to the boys and it's like this yeah this it's just so like old school and like not relevant anymore um but I think Harry's relationship with Luna is actually really sort of forward thinking and sort of opposed to that idea because he does, oh, totally. he has like a really meaningful connection with her that is not even slightly, you know, played for romantic tension, you know? Yeah. And that is just, it sort of, it sticks out in this broader story, you know, that's so much yeah. stuck in old time Because well, the whole story is so high school, you know? <laughs> But yeah, and I mean, even in the next film where he like invites her, and we'll talk about it in the next film, but like when he like invites her to that like special dinner and like there's still just like no romantic tension. It's just like, she's my friend and she was explicitly not invited, so I want to bring her and it's just this cool moment. Yeah. But 
what what is weird about her is that it's it's <laughs> she's like the crazy witch. She's like the weird girl because she like believes in all these things and no one else believes in. Right. And we we see like Harry kind of like sees through the like the weird girl thing because he also sees a lot of the things that she does. Right. And so that's kind of like, oh, the rest of the world sees her this way, but Harry sees her as a person, and that's a really cool thing. Yeah. But then we continue to kind of play her weirdness for goofs a lot of the time throughout this movie and yeah. throughout the rest of the series. And it's it's kind of similar to the times when, like, people don't believe in Santa Claus in a Christmas movie. <laughs> right. It's like, she's a witch. This is a magical world. If she brings something that, you, like, you don't know about, everyone's just like, oh, she's crazy. Not like, um, th- the world is magic and these things probably exist, you right. know? Like, it's just it's just weird. Yeah, I don't know. But to, I just buy it. I don't know. If, like, I mean, you yeah. know, I believe that there are, like, myths and things in wizarding culture. Like, and I don't want it to seem... I don't think that the message is like, oh, she's not weird at all. It's everyone else who's just judgmental. Like, I, she definitely mm-hmm. is, like, weird. It's not a bad yeah. thing, but she's just, like, she's not normal. And I think that sort of the idea of it is just that, like, That's Harry, just who she is. Yeah, and Harry, like, knows how to just appreciate her for who she is, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I had a broader point, but I totally forgot it about halfway through the sentence. Um, you made a good one. <laughs> yeah, um... I'll remember it later. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I guess it, it's just that this move, the, the Harry Potter movies like own opinions about magic are just sometimes a little bit weird for me. It's like anytime Harry gets into like a weird magical situation, like when, even when he gets in like the phone booth and he's like, whoa, we're getting into a little phone booth. And then it goes down because it's magic. It's like it's like that kind of thing where it's like, I don't know. If I lived in a magical world, especially if I'm from the muggle world, I would kind of just like expect everything to be magic. So when it's like, oh, here's a little thing, I'd be like, oh, there's something magical about right. that, you know? And, and like yeah. I, that same kind of attitude about the myths and legends where like if they were like, oh, there are these things. And someone's like, oh, well, those things don't exist. I'd be like, well, it's not crazy to believe in them because it's magic and we got a lot of magic stuff so like i don't know even if it's like even if it's weird to not believe it to believe in that stuff i just i don't know it's just like it's just more like magic stuff it's just more magic (laughs) right um yeah i don't know and the way that it's interesting little love gets really interesting to me because like she's obviously like sort of a late game addition to this like cast of characters yeah um but I really think that, like, her and Harry, like, in terms of their chemistry, like, because, like, Harry and Ron and Hermione are all friends. It's not that they don't have good chemistry, but they just sort of are three different people with three different personalities that don't necessarily have much in common. And they're just sort of friends because they are, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like Harry and Luna have, like, some really specific connections, you know. I mm-hmm. almost wish that because they're like they're both these people who have dealt with these traumas from really young ages who have like dealt with it in really different and complicated ways, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, even Harry and Neville have that level of connection too in this yeah. movie, and, and, and Neville's been there for a while, but he's never he's not really been like been there, you know. Right. And yeah, I guess what I'm just trying to say is that I wish that like I wish that these characters had been sort of a more 
integral part of the the story and like as their attachment to Harry as a character because I think that their relationship just like makes a lot more sense than the one between Hermione and Ron does. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, Hermione totally. and Ron, not that they're not good characters in the execution of the story, but like in their conception are very much just like Oh, and he's got two friends, and one's um, a boy and he's poor, and the other one's a girl who is really smart. Uh, yeah, sure, let's go forward with that, you know? Well, I mean, I, I think that kind of diminishes the relationship a little bit. I don't think that's true. I mean, because in the first... I mean, we, we've we all had friends that we made in elementary school that were the, our friends for a very, very long time. Even as you grew up, you were still friends. And yeah. I feel like that's very much Ron and Hermione and Terry. But, like, also, they they do have a lot of ties. Like, Harry may not be poor, but he is very much an outcast, just as Ron and Hermione are. Like, they yeah. they do have ties that bring each other together. And I don't want to just say, oh, those are just his friends, because I yeah. feel like that's not true. Well, no, because that's what I was trying to say. Because what I said was, like, obviously, in execution, they're a lot more fleshed out and they're a lot more interesting than just that. Mm-hmm. I just mean in terms of, like, brainstorming and how you're writing the story. My mm-hmm. point is that, like, and it's weird to say this because the writing process, especially on, like, an eight-book series, doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. work this way. But, like, hypothetically, if you had, like, started out this series with Harry and Neville and Luna being, like, the core trio, I think mm-hmm. that those characters and their relationship to Harry Potter would be a lot more thematically meaningful than mm-hmm. the one between Harry and Ron and Hermione. Does that make sense? Yeah. I get what you're saying, but yeah. Um, uh, did you notice that Cho... I For some reason, I never noticed this until just now. But Cho Chang just has an American accent in this movie. You're right. And I don't know why that is or why it took me so long to notice. Yeah, that's... What? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, the other thing I have written down is just there's that moment when Umbridge is like going through the school and, like, adjudicating everybody, and Mm -hmm. she's, like, going after Snape, and Ron starts laughing at him, and Snape just straight up, like, smacks him in the back of the head, and it's really funny. It's really good. (laughs) Uh, I, there's this really, there's that moment where Seamus kind of, like, confronts Harry, like, the first day back, that I think is really, really good. Well, first of all, because, I mean, I, we talked about this a little bit in the last movie, too, but something about these movies just seems so much more biting today than it probably did in the 90s, where, yeah. like, Seamus is like, my mom doesn't believe you, so I don't believe you. Right. And again, that huge fight. And I think that's a great scene. But also, what I love about that scene in the common room is that if you listen, there's just, like, light, like, rock music playing. And I think that's so good, like, to just right. show that these are, these are teens. Like, they're just hanging yeah. out. Like, they just have music playing. Like, they're wizards, and they're going through big important things but they're still teens and they still listen to rock music and just right. like that kind of stuff you can keep uh, going because <laughs> i'm way ahead of you okay good and man, when umbridge like that first defense against the dark arts lesson with umbridge where she talks about how school is about passing the owls not about learning to defend yourself and right. i was just like ooh. They nailed the American school system. Yeah. Like, wow. No, yeah, and that's something that's kind of interesting to me, too, because, like, clearly J.K. Rowling has a lot to say about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's just, like, I don't know. J.K. Rowling's, like, politics as a person are, like, I don't know. They just are fascinating to me. 
Yeah, like, she's this, a strange person. She really is. And like the things that she feels power, like the things that she feels really strongly about versus the things that she doesn't and the things mm-hmm. that she didn't feel strongly about originally that she seems to feel strongly about now is really interesting too. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, its own conversation, but like Yeah. <laughs> maybe you know, <laughs> you know what we should do? We should what? finish all these Harry Potter movies and then we should have an extra episode at the end that's only about her Twitter. <laughs> Go. Well, we just go through her Twitter. Just go through her Twitter tweet by tweet and just discuss. Oh my god. Um. But yeah, so like obviously she has a lot to say about schooling, and like I think there's a specific smack of sex education to this as well. Like yeah. with the idea of like teaching abstinence only rather than like safe sex. I think there's yeah sort things of, you can like actually use. Yeah. That's like the strongest allegory that I got like immediately from it with this idea of like oh just learn about dark magic in theory don't actually yeah do it in practice that was my immediate reading of it i mean that's just that's just the most similar yeah metaphor that we have i guess yeah right um i mean yeah like it what i've I, I need to do more research about J.K. Rowling, but what I've heard, because we were talking about her gender politics, what I've heard is that she she is kind of bad about gender politics in being more than just equality for men and also women. Like, she's kind of bad about, like, any, like, when we talk about, like, gender is like a spectrum, where we talk about trans people or gay people apparently she's very bad at that kind of thing and you can kind of see it in the harry potter books with the way she talks about gender politics but yeah i just she's just such a weird person (laughs) because like this story is such an explicitly like anti-fascism anti like nazi story right and it's a great story and it does that so well but then there's just, like, other things around that main core story that just kind of, like, fall apart a little bit and get right. a little bit uncomfy. And I th- it's just, it's really interesting because, like, I, I don't know, like, reading, like, watching these movies, like, I totally agree with a lot of the core meanings of it. And then I turn around and go on her Twitter and I'm like, <laughs> right, what, are, yeah. what are we talking about? It's just, I don't know, it's really interesting. She's a weird person. Yeah, when it's kind of cool because, like, I like that sort of wizarding society doesn't directly parallel, like, real-life society, you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of, like, the government structure. Because, like, you know, it's kind of implied that their, like, judicial system is just kind of fucked up and doesn't really work. Yeah, well, because it's the president is the head of the judicial branch. Yeah, exactly. And it's not even like, oh, there's a current, like, corrupt administration and it doesn't work. Just, like, systemically, it's like a whack system, right? Yeah, like, this is just how we've always done it. It's kind of bad. And it's just, it's interesting because it's, like, especially in, like, America and, like, Europe, we have this, like, judicial system that's, like, really immaculately crafted. Not to say that it's, like, perfect and always works, but, like... Because it's not. It's this big, complicated system with, like, a whole bunch of checks and balances and like different ways to make sure bad things don't happen to the best that we can and it seems like you know wizarding society doesn't necessarily like place as Mm -hmm. much value on that and it seems like that's a specific choice you know yeah i mean i think it's really funny because mcgonagall like specifically has a line where she calls uh oh what's her face dolores's practices um medieval and i think that's like hilarious like in the context of the wizarding world i think it kind of is medieval like 
the way like the way that we've seen the school run where we like have just like watched kids like blow things up and have we've seen Neville get hung off of like four different things <laughs> and like we've we've kind of like seen how like the wizarding world is kind of messy but we've just enjoyed it so to have like a politician and a bureaucrat to come up and be like well this needs to be organized it's like part of you is like yeah you're right but the other part of you is like well but the fact what it is is what makes it great right and yeah but just in terms of like wizard government they play a lot Mm -hmm. with the idea of like the government having a really explicit um control over the press which is something that we're like oh yeah really really passionate about in america and i believe like also the same in most of europe as well i guess i don't really necessarily know because i feel like other than the fact that if they didn't and it was messed up, I probably would have heard about it. I, I mean, don't know. I mean, Russia's really bad about that. But. Yeah, but like, um, I'm so mostly what I'm talking about is I'm talking about America and England because this yeah. is sort of like the influencing cultures in this kind of, of movie, Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's like because that's something we take really seriously is like that the press should be separate from government and that like mm-hmm. should tell the truth exactly should tell the truth and should be free to be critical of government that's like one of the core things that at least america is like built around right mm-hmm. and so jk rowling it feels like a sort of postulating like here's this alternate system yeah. where like that's not necessarily the case and here's why that would be fucked up like really specifically you know mm-hmm. and i it's several parts Several times throughout this film, they have these little, like, they're kind of transitions, but they're these little, like, scenes that we see, these little, like, montages of, like, the newspapers. Right. And, like, like uh, one thing will happen, and then the newspapers will go through and just, like, show you what happens because of that. And I think it's a really cool and interesting decision to use the newspapers, because it, it tells the audience what happened, <coughs> like, after that one decision. But it also tells you what the general public of the society is being told. Right, yeah. It, it's kind of like, it's, oh, what's the word? It's this dramatic irony where we we know that there's something else going on when they have these headlines, but we can still infer what actually happened through these basically lies exactly, that are being told yeah. to the public. And I think it's a really smart use of the newspapers. Going back to her being medieval, uh, that Blood quill is terrifying. No, it's so great. It's such a great What's gag. Up with that, and it's, it's like it's such a perfect, like, radicalizing experience for Harry. Right? Oh yeah. It's like it's this wonderfully crafted like moment that sort of breaks him. You know, mm-hmm. um, not to say that he's like broken and defeated, but it's like it's after it's after that happens that he decides to start Dumbledore's army. I mean, he doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. decide, but he and his friends, you know? Yeah. Um, And I think it's just perfectly, it's like taking all of that bitterness and resentment and rage that he has and suddenly focusing it into this, like, exquisitely specific moment, you know, that is just absolutely everything, like, rolled into one. It's this scene that has these ideas of, like, government interference in Hogwarts and people not believing in him and him being alone with this teacher, the sense of isolation. And it's like all these things that are these huge, like things that Harry is grappling with all rolled into one in this like hugely demeaning and painful experience. I think it's just like a genius plot point. Mm -hmm. And a little bit, I don't know if it's before, I think it's before, 
but uh, they, because the next thing I want to talk about is Dumbledore's army, but uh, the before that, the, uh, we loved the fire gag thing with Sirius. I know, the they just do a movie. worse version of it. And they made it so lame. It's just like <laughs> his face, like, superimposed over a fire, like right. something I could do in Photoshop. And yeah. It's just... It was so cool, and you, you, I didn't do it, and I don't get why. Yeah, and I was and gonna say sad. this. Um, that's something I have noted too is that these movies have sort of a weird relationship with continuity. Also, yeah, um, the one that always sticks out in my mind is uh, in Deathly Hollows. There's a line that I just remember because I found it so weird, um, where they pull a line right out of the book. Where they say, um, where Lupin says to Harry to, like, prove that he's real and not, like, a polyjuice potion person. Um, Mm -hmm. He's like, when you met me in my office for the first time your third year, what animal was in my room? And he's like, oh, it was a whatever it was. Um, But that wasn't the case in the third movie, right? Oh, yeah. they pulled that line out of the book because it was, like, a powerful scene, you know, so they copied a lot of dialogue right from it. But it has... Like, it weirdly embraces the canon of the book rather than the the canon of the movie. Yeah. And the same thing going forward with Fantastic Beasts, right? Is because these are these expanded universe stories that are presumably moving forward with the canon of the books, question mark? But with some of the same characters and actors from the movies, question mark? Like, it's It's just... just, it's the Star Wars prequels all over again. It's just adding to a story that's already been made, so you can't really. Well, that's not even necessarily what I mean. Setting up. That's not even necessarily what I mean. I just mean like, are these movies? They've got like two different parallel canons that oh, they can't saying. like decide which one is really which. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like kind of like a double think scenario. Like it's yeah, the, it's the movie universe and also the book universe. It's, yeah, exactly. And it's like all the same. Well, with with the Harry potter movies i feel like that's maybe a symptom of having several different directors is that continuity gets a little weird i mean yeah. like we've had a completely different hogwarts layout after the first two movies <laughs> right and we're just like at a completely different castle and that's fine but like i i just think that's a part of it is like what's right. the, another downside of having a bunch of directors i think certain continuity kind of gets Kind of gets left behind for the sake of the new director having their own vision, you know? Right. And, okay, so, um, Harry sort of starting his own, like, guerrilla defense against the dark arts class. Yeah. Is super fun. So good. I do wish, though, I wish we would have put some more emphasis on Harry himself being a teacher. This movie sort of posits that just because he's good at this subject means that he's also inherently good at teaching that subject to other people. Um, yeah. And I wish we could have seen some of the work that Harry put in in order to be a good teacher and sort of planning his lessons and thinking about what the best ways to sort of interact with his students, quote-unquote, would be. Does yeah. that make sense? It sort of yeah, undervalues see- the the talent and difficulty of teaching as a as a as a – what's the word I'm looking for? As a craft, as a I guess. Skill. Yeah. yeah, as a skill. And we see like his his quote unquote classes, and we see him teaching, and we see him like develop these cool relationships. Like one of the younger students there, his name is Nigel, and like yeah. you see like how he like helps them and how they do different things, and how even when Nigel does a spell in a weird way, he still like helps them. Like we see 
we see Harry building relationships with everybody that he's teaching, and we see him kind of, kind of getting better at teaching as the people around him get better at casting spells. And right. I agree with you. I, w- I think we should have seen just like a little bit more prep, even if we had like one scene where Harry was like stressed and like didn't know what to do for a lesson. Yeah, I think yeah. that would have been great. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I was about to say, I'm talking about Nigel. I love what the coolest part about one of the cool things about Hogwarts is that we do have such a huge. Like, we have so many different age groups all in the same area, and how that really helps the family dynamic that you build at Hogwarts. Right. And there, this is a scene way later in the movie, but it's there throughout the whole movie of, like, these, like, little kids being around and being a part of something that, like, Harry is kind of just, like, come to grips with and realizing that, like, you're a part of the world. There are little kids here, too, I think is really interesting. Right. Like, there's this there's this kind of throwaway gag where uh, the Filch is putting up all the different, like, new rules and all that stuff. And he does the gag where he turns with the ladder and everybody ducks. But in that scene, there's just, <laughs> right. like, an 11-year-old who's just standing there who doesn't have to duck. And it's just really funny. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That is really good. Yeah, no, it's really good. <laughs> but, um, like... Later in the film, we see, like, Fred and George, like, comforting this little boy who has the I will not tell lies on his hand. And, oh, God, it gets me every time. It's just so good. It's really fun. Um, Fun's not the right word. It's really good. No, fun is the wrong word. It's really powerful and affecting. Um, Yeah. Fun. I appreciate sort of, like, that they, when Cho and Harry kiss after that lesson, I appreciate that it wasn't sort of, like, hollywooded up i guess because they're like standing like a foot away from each other (laughs) and they're like not touching each other at all (laughs) and i was just like i feel that as two 15 year olds this is a teen kiss like this makes sense yeah i just think it's so funny because like on paper like movies like this it's always like they have this like passionate embrace but it's just like this weird awkward kiss where neither of them really knows what they're doing and they're just like weirdly far away from each other i don't know i thought that was really fun I, I, I had this like large part of the movie where I didn't write anything down, but that's just because I was just watching the movie and deeply enjoying the movie, right? Yeah, and kind of forgot to take notes. Like, I mean, that whole scene around Christmas where he has that nightmare of seeing himself attack Mr. Weasley and like having to like go to Dumbledore and having that scene where he's just sweaty and freaking out and he has that moment where he just like breaks and just yells at Dumbledore yeah. is so good. It's really good. The uh I do want to make a note of this sort of like sequence though that I think is weird is that like presumably Arthur Weasley was attacked by Voldemort, right? Um remember that the snake is a uh, thingy uh, 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 the scary, the Voldemort soul piece. What is it? Horcrux. The snake yeah. is a Horcrux. Um, regardless, like Voldemort's snake, like yeah. even indirectly, he was attacked by Voldemort, right? And there's yeah. like a lot of mystery about Voldemort and what he's doing and what's going on, and like we don't we don't think to like ask Arthur about what happened or what like why it happened this way it's just like oh i saw that he got attacked and then it's like later it's like he's recovering from when he was attacked it was like oh okay what what happened dumbledore explains this when he's running around and ignoring harry is that 
So they have that conversation at the Black House where they're like, Dumbledore, he's, or Voldemort is after something he didn't have before. And he's after that prophecy that'll tell him if he'll win or not. Right. And, uh... So the Order of the Phoenix knows that, and when when uh, Dumbledore talks to all the portraits to get information to get Mr. Weasley, he tells one of the portraits, Mr. Weasley was on guard duty and he's been attacked. So it's oh. saying that Order of the Phoenix people have been in the Department of Mysteries protecting that orb, and that's why he got attacked by Voldemort Snake. Gotcha. Okay, um, but I also feel the same way about the second time when it happens, when it's serious. Yeah, because but it's that like- was fake. Was that fake? Did we... That I was guess, fake. Okay, yeah. They never said it was fake. They just brought up the idea that it could be fake. Okay, cool. Well, don't remember they get there and he's like, this is where Sirius should be. And he's not there. And then Sirius oh, comes I later and he's like, I must have just missed that. I must have been okay. writing while that happened. Um, Probably. But yeah, that's what I think is really cool. Because like you can kind of like pinpoint when Voldemort like figures it out. Right, that he yeah. can show Harry things. But yeah, and I want to note that um, the whole, like, oculency sequences with him and Snape are really cool, too. Oh, they're so good. And, like, the dynamic between Snape and Harry in this movie, I think, is really interesting because it, like, it, uh, it's just, it's interesting because they're on the same side, right? Yeah. But they still deeply don't like each other, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And they just have to sort of deal with that, right? Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's... Your immediate impulse is, like, he's, like, probing into Harry's memories, and it's, like, you are a a teacher and a student, like, this is deeply inappropriate and shouldn't be happening, but, like, on the other hand, it's one of those things is just, like, too bad, like, this is bigger than that right now, you know? Um, I think it works really well, and it also sort of ties in when he, like, pulls it back on him and he goes into Snape's memories and sees his father, like, bullying Snape as a kid. Oh, yeah. And it, like, all sort of ties into this, like, general thematic idea of, like, Harry finally starting to have an actual relationship with adults. And that yeah. means, like, A, first of all, he's, like, upset and frustrated about Dumbledore for a lot of the movie. And then mm-hmm. later on, he has to, like, cope with some harsh realities about his dad, who's not just a perfect angel. Like, he was a yeah. was a person and he was a bully in high school, you know? I mean, him and Sirius, like, specifically have that conversation. And it's just, like, where not everything is black and white. Like, people are good and bad at yeah. the same time. And I think because for the, uh, all of the movies so far, I think Harry has really specifically seen something in black and white because that's pretty much what it's been. It's been Voldemort is the bad guy and we are the good guys and we just got to figure it out. Right. But now when you have stuff like the Order and you have people like Snape who are trying to help you but are kind of bad people, it's like you you, you have to have the understanding that not everybody, like, there's dimensions to this. Yeah. And especially because, like, there are so many people that he thought were friends before already, like, suddenly being on the opposite side of him, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're just as complicated as any other character is, you know? Yeah. Um, like, just because Seamus is, doesn't believe you doesn't mean that he's evil. It's just one of those things, yeah. Right. Um, so, first of all, I just wanted to say when they when they bust the Doors army and there's yeah. that moment where they're all writing lines together in the Great Hall, I think that's really good. It's that's very like, good. It's like this cool sort of galvanizing moment for them it feels like it's even still like knitting them closer together you know i think that's really cool um and i mean it's also just that like ultimate power shift from dumbledore to umbridge where like they're in the great hall like it's not just like them alone in her office anymore it's just like out in the middle and everybody knows about it and there's nothing they could do about it you know Uh uh-huh 
Um, I think the decision, I think the way that they handle sort of the Fred and George, like, giant prank is really smart. Yes. Um, because this movie just in general is very dour, right? That's kind of the idea of it. This is their, this is to, to use like the hero's journey. This is sort of the, the climax of the story, right? It's when everything Mm -hmm. seems darkest. Um, and the, uh, but like it is still like a big blockbuster family movie though yeah Um, so i think deploying fred and george the way that they do is like the perfect moment to just give everybody a win sort of yeah definitely it, it feels so great and it's so fun but then at the same time even though we as as an audience feel it as a win for everybody for society as a whole when fred and yeah. george blow up a big firework in that mean woman's face um yeah the they undercut it right at the end when he's like out in the crowd and he's exciting and laughing harry i mean um yeah when he suddenly starts having that nightmare vision again like right there in the middle of everybody and it's sort of it it's it feels like almost sort of brutal in terms of like harry's perspective because it's like he just can't catch a break you know mm-hmm. like even in this moment which should be like a a pure good is undercut like he just he can't be happy in this movie you know mm-hmm. and i love the scene where they get caught trying to use umbridge's uh chimney to get to the flu network right I I love so much because it's one of those times where, like, Harry has to basically trust Snape. Right. And I just think it's so great. Well, because first of all, it makes Umbridge this absolute evil because in all the other movies, like, even if Snape hasn't been explicitly a bad guy, he has never been a good guy. He has never been on Harry's side. He has never been explicitly helpful to Harry. Right. And so when he has that moment when Umbridge is basically going to Crucio curse him and you have that moment where Snape is like walking away and Harry just like yells at him that Sirius is in trouble. It's just, it's so good. Yeah. It's just this moment of like desperation. That's like Snape is basically his only chance to get to the order of the Phoenix. And it's just really good. And Snape does follow through the order of the Phoenix does go to the room of mysteries department of mysteries it's just it's really good it's really good and i want to talk about sort of some uh i'm gonna start that phrase over (laughs) okay (laughs) so like the harry potter movies i would not call them action movies no they are sort of i don't know i guess i would just say adventure but they're not based around like a journey big elaborate like sort of set pieces in the way that an action movie is, you know. Yeah. Um but I think that this movie, the third act is very much that of an action movie, you know. Oh, like, yeah, it's a heist. Yeah, exactly, sort of this heist going into the thing versus um sorry, that was absolute nonsense that sentence I just said. Um <laughs> <laughs> the uh sort of that heist when they're breaking into the Ministry of Magic is very much has a lot of momentum and a lot of combat in it when they're defending themselves against the Death Eaters. But then mm-hmm. also when the adults show up and then the duel between uh, Voldemort and Dumbledore, it's like all so much bigger and more extravagant and elaborate than these movies have been before. And it's mm-hmm. like exciting in a, I don't know how to describe necessarily what I'm talking about, but like in a way that no, action movies are versus just a dramatic movie is, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. I mean, it's like the Harry Potter Voldemort duel that we get in the third movie is very boring from like an action standpoint. And what's going on in that scene is great. It's a great scene. But from like a purely like action standpoint, they kind of just like walk around each other and then eventually have that little duel and then they both leave and that's like it. And so to get to the scene where they're just like, first of all, the Department of Mysteries is such a cool area and such a cool set piece. And the way they use it is really interesting. But yeah, just like to have them like running and casting spells and being in like a real fight for the yeah. first time in the movie series is just very, very good. Right. Um, and you also have the, the Death Eaters got their glow up where they've got that super cool right. like metal masks. Yeah, now. their masks rule. They're so good at like being what they're supposed to be. They're like scary and intimidating. Spooky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also just want to say when they're running around and they end up like destroying all of those crystal balls in the Ministry of Magic. That yeah. stresses me out super bad. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> most of those were probably important. Like, they saved him for a reason. In the next yeah, movie, those are prophecies. I want them to be like, oh, well, you know, we would know a whole bunch of stuff if Harry Potter hadn't fucking destroyed our entire filing <laughs> this is system. like the Bernie the of Alexandria. Of Magic. <laughs> exactly. Like, it stresses me out. It's like, we saved those for a reason. They're important yeah. to somebody. It's so cool, though, where they're, like, running and all of the crystal balls are following. It's right. dope as hell. <laughs> Okay, um, I so th- I have said this before. This was my favorite Harry Potter book in the series. I have never, ever understood why the wizards have this weird portal to the death dimension. I don't get yeah. it. I don't know why we have it. I don't know what it does. It It's weird, and, and I don't like it. They're really vague about it in this movie, too. They don't even oh, they're, say... Oh, they're vague about it in the book, and it never comes up again. This weird portal to the death realm never comes up again. <laughs> right. Um... Is that how they execute wizards? Because the death curse is illegal? They just I don't push them know. into it. <laughs> I guess. Um, the, um, and I, I want to make a note of sort of this thing that's always like stuck in my mind um, is when uh, Doctor Strange was coming out. They, mm-hmm. uh, Scott Derrickson, who directed that movie, uh, was really explicit whenever he was like talking about the movie. How he really didn't want magic to just be lasers. Um, yeah. Which is something that Harry Potter sort of does a lot, right? Um, yeah. Up until the point where it's just the duel between um, uh, Voldemort and Dumbledore. Most of that entire mm-hmm. sequence is basically just guys shooting lasers at each other. Um, yeah. But um, I think but I think they're still smart about it. Not that I'm, like, condemning the movie for having lasers oh, totally. in it. Well, there's, like, different types of lasers, and they do do different things. Yeah. And there's also the fact that these are students, and they know the very basics. So them right. just shooting around lasers totally makes sense. Well, even even when the adults show up afterwards, it's mostly the adults That's fighting very the true. But my point is this, is that um, I don't think it, this is a bad thing, necessarily. And I think it's smart that when we get to the duel between... Voldemort and Dumbledore, they understood that it couldn't just be lasers there, right? Oh, yeah, because <laughs> like, that would be terrible. It just, yeah. yeah, it just being lasers in the first part of the scene works because there's not really, like, much that would be different if they were doing more creative things, right? It's just, like, this sort yeah. of, like, broad-scale thing. But it's, like, we've seen the lasers, we were impressed by the lasers, we thought that was cool, but then if they do that again, it wouldn't work. Um, yeah. And the way that the fight between um Dumbledore and Voldemort is sort of choreographed I think is so cool it's so good because it's you know it's all about all these super creative uses of magic right it's like 
breaking windows and sending glasses or shards of glass at him and like yeah. pulling a giant fire snake out of a fireplace to attack him and like encapsulating Voldemort in water. It's like these big, broad, like yeah. creative uses of magic that are so cool. And what I love about it is that it doesn't devolve into a Green Lantern fight where they're like, oh, right. a big fist, a big shield. Like, it doesn't turn into that. Like, it seems very creative and very original. And it's not just about blocking what the other person is doing. It's about, like, attacking against a fin. Like, right. when... Because like, at the very beginning, Dumbledore and Voldemort, they do the, like, dual thing where, like, the spells hit and they have, like, that little contest to see who can win. <laughs> right. And Voldemort starts, like, flicking his wand so that, like, lightning is, like, coming off of that and, like, hitting Harry from, like, where they're doing that. It's stuff like that that's just, like, super creative and yeah. makes it stand out and not just feel like that one fight between Yoda and Count Dooku where they make <laughs> things slowly where they just, <laughs> move like, toward each other. stuff at each other, yeah. Yeah, oh, oh my god. god, why is that fight so bad? That's such a horrible, horrible scene. God, everyone's... Tangent, people always say that Phantom Menace is the worst Star Wars movie. That is deeply, deeply untrue. I think Attack of the Clones is maybe the worst movie anybody has ever made. It's just... My friend tried to tell me that that scene between Yoda and Count Dooku is really good because it's the first time anyone had, like, used the Force to, like, attack somebody besides, right. like, choking them. Maybe that's and true. I'm like, and I'm like, that's fair. Um, it fucking sucks, it's though. It's bad. They just, like... It's the slowest scene on the planet. I'll have to look back at it. There's literally two different back and forths of them ripping big machines off the walls with the Force... And, like, and slowly, slowly sending them sending at each it other. towards each other. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, Please put some of the visual into the podcast. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe I'll do my best to try to do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, if not, just edit this out. But it's so... <laughs> oh, you mean, like, into the oh video podcast on YouTube? Yeah. Oh, I'm probably not going to do that, because what about the people who listen on iTunes? What? YouTube exclusive. <laughs> okay. Um... And yeah, the last thing I have written down is just that sort of that little that little clip show at the end when he's like probing through Harry's memories is really I think it really works. It um, works very well. The uh it's interesting because this sort of feels like a lot of things about this movie, like I said, in terms of uh what's his name's uh hero's journey, it's very much like the climax of this whole thing, right? It's this like mm -hmm. moment where everything seems darkest and it feels like you can't win. And as a result, there's a lot of sort of, I don't know. It, it just, it makes you feel the, the, the power of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and something like that, like looking back on the whole series and showing you like really explicitly, like the character development that's taken place in that context really, really works. I think. Mm -hmm. And I, I absolutely love that line where Harry, like, kind of, like, because the whole movie he's been afraid because he thinks that he is too similar to Voldemort. He thinks that he's becoming a bad person. Right. When he, but when he kind of realizes it's about, what's different about me is, like, so complete that I'm never going to be like you because I have people that I love and I'm fighting for something. Right. And it's just that line where, like, Harry's like, you're never going to win because you have no friends or anyone that you love in your life. And, like, I – that's a bad way to phrase it. But Harry's like, I feel sorry for you. And I think that's such a powerful line right. to say to this, like, absolute, like, 
entity of darkness. Yeah. I just think it's very powerful. I want uh, I want to see where Harry calls Voldemort a virgin to his face. <laughs> You'll never love anyone. What's that scene in the New Kingdom Hearts mood movie where Woody totally <laughs> roasts that anime character? I don't know. You've told me about it, but I haven't seen it before. It's very good. Woody just walks up and he's like, something tells me no one's ever loved you in your life. And just... <laughs> Woody just tears this anime character apart. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we're kind of at the end of our thoughts here. I mean, I I also just appreciate sort of the brevity of the wrap up here. Yeah. Like every one like of these movies has this do. like really extensive like end of the year sequence. That's always mm-hmm. really exhausting. And I like that they just don't do that in this one. Well, I mean, because it. I feel like we're at the point in the story where to Harry, it doesn't matter who won the house cup like it's that's not even been on his mind in other movies it absolutely has been a part of his mind because like he's in high school and he's like enjoying his life and like that's been the most important thing has been quidditch like there's not even a quidditch scene in this movie like the whole movie and i think that just really shows how like harry like has real problems in his life now that like uh, that like the stuff that he used to like enjoy and care about he like can't afford to care about anymore yeah yeah and there's no quidditch in this movie i didn't think about that until just now um yeah yeah i mean this is like i mean like i said before i think i've liked each of these movies better than the last which i was not expecting i feel like before we like went back and started rewatching these I was just, like, really ambivalent about the Harry Potter movies. Like, I don't... Yeah. I didn't really feel really strongly one way or the other. But, mm-hmm. like, I really like these movies, I think. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I, I really, really loved this one. I mean, part of it is that the story itself is just a very good story. So you've got a great foundation because it's a story that we know because we've read the books. It's also just a good story. Yeah. And then... So it's kind of... It's kind of hard to screw that up. So you have these, like, even the first two films that aren't great films, like, they're still good because they still do what it needs to do to be a Harry Potter movie, right. you know? Yeah. Um. So, uh, do you want to move into our secondary thing? Yeah, God, the Hoop really, Adventure. We really fucking need, like, a name for this second thing, because every time I say secondary thing, I just hate it eat more and more and more. Okay, let's, 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 let's think. Let's brainstorm. We can call it our backup feature. Our... Double feature? Um... Um... Our Return of the Jedi? Our... <laughs> I don't know. We can we think could on call it. it No Nerds Allowed the sequel. <laughs> we can think about it and come back to it. I just I can't keep I can't keep doing this, Adeline. Okay. Um so yeah, we wanted to talk today about the new game on the Nintendo Switch called Ring Fit Adventure. Um did you watch that whole trailer? I did watch that whole trailer. It is fucking hilarious. It is okay, okay, okay. I a hundred percent get it though and i don't think it's a bad idea because like part of nintendo's shtick for some reason i don't know where this came from but there's always been a health element to nintendo like new like motion consoles right like it started with the wii because you had wii sports and for some reason, everyone on the planet just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> right. And, like, people used it for the exercise, and it was super, super successful. 
So, and then we got stuff like the, like, with, like, the Wii U Fit Pad. Like, there's just, like, tons of, like, athletic stuff. And there's, like, all these, like, workout video games. Like, for some reason, that just, like, became a part of the Nintendo identity. It was, like, weird workout games yeah. that people really liked. So, I get it. Like, logically, the Nintendo Switch needed a workout thing. And it's got a really good motion control. So, they were right. like, all right, now's the time. So, yeah, just but for anybody what... who isn't already aware, this is a game that, um... It comes with its own weird peripheral, one of which is just a ring that you mount one of the Joy-Cons to. Um, it's like this rubber ring that has, like, adjustable tension to it that you can squeeze and pull. Um, and one that's just a little strap that you strap around your thigh. Um, and it's like this RPG <laughs> where yeah. you have to, like, walk around and, like, do different workout moves in order to play the game basically yeah and that that's where it loses me because <laughs> with like the wii u fit pad and with like wii sports it was all just like you're do you're playing sports like that's what you're doing there's right. not a weird storyline you're just playing sports but the, the weird storyline just makes it feel like we're tricking people into exercising. Right. And no one's going to fall for it. <laughs> See, here's what I have to say, though. Because nobody's ever done this before, right? We've never had a fitness game that's, like, also... A, like a story. Like a real kind of, video barely. game. Right? Like, barely. Because the things like Wii Sports and Wii Fit, they're not, like... They're not in any way, like traditionally video games they're just sort of these like mini games that you can select some options from and just do them and if you're doing it you're just like oh i'm gonna work out so i'm gonna play we fit um mm -hmm. this i think is really smart because it would give you an incentive to play other than yeah. just the fact that you want to work out, right? I mean, it, it all comes down to how fun the game actually is. But it's like, if it's this, if you have like a progression and there are goals you want to work towards, I think that's really important because that's not a, a facet of something like Wii Fit, right? Yeah. Um, it's like what? the, uh, if there's like power-ups and different weapons and different attacks and like a story progression with levels and like there's a final boss you want to get to that's really hard to beat. Like, I think that would be a really, really powerful tool in terms of, like, getting people to, not just to exercise, because anybody who gets, nobody's just going to play this because it's a fun game, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, but people who want to use it to exercise, it's a really good incentive to get them to continue to do it regularly. Yeah, absolutely. I think, because, like, at its core, like, I mean, the big ring thing is silly, but, like, it genuinely looks like a good workout tool, yeah. and that's what it's supposed to be, so it's fine. Like, you may look silly while you're doing it, but let's be real, everyone looks silly when they're working out. Right. I don't but, know, like, I think what, it looks fun, to be honest. It does look fun, but, like, what, what bothers me is that it's, like, with a new story, it's, like, does it really have a story? And, I mean, that's just from, like, looking at, like, the trailers and stuff. It really just does look like running and then doing workouts to defeat like different little monster guys right like i just haven't i don't really think there's a plot and something about video games that like don't have plots and are basically just like gauntlets that just like bores the crap out of me <laughs> so like i think for this to be really successful it would kind of like have to have a good story and i don't think it does right here's what i would argue um something like paper mario 
which, you know, does have a plot, but that's not, like, why you're playing, right? Yeah. Um, the fun of it comes from the fact that the combat is really fun to do, um, which I would imagine this would be the same way. Um, yeah. It uh, comes from, like, characters and sort of these ancillary personalities being really fun and enjoyable to talk to, which Nintendo is always great at. Um, mm-hmm. And it comes from, like, the different environments you get to explore, right? Mm-hmm. And I think all of those three things, uh, this game really has going for it. Obviously, I don't think it's going to be the next Paper Mario, but, like, yeah. I think it has enough of the elements of a good game to be fun and enjoyable to to play. We're going to talk about some video game here, fellas. It's time to talk about immersion. I don't think this video game's going to have any immersion in it whatsoever. What do you mean? I think you you're do gonna the be... same moves that your little guy does. You're the same I guy. I think you're going to be very aware of the fact that you're working out and not that you're playing a video game. Right, I don't enough. think I'm going to get lost in this universe. I think <laughs> I'm going to be working out. Right. It's yeah. I think I think it's a good idea. I think people who want to work out will use it and will have fun. I just think it's not gonna make its way outside of that group of people. You know. How about this? You buy it. <laughs> Where one person is playing and our entire family is around us, like cheering and clapping and screaming. Yeah, <laughs> just losing their minds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Great. Um, <laughs> Uh, hey, Adelaide, do you want to hear a one-star review of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix? Is it toxic? I don't know, maybe. Um, <laughs> this is a one-star... This is a weird one because this is a person that just has their full name. And okay, it, listen, I, that's I, their I, fault. Yeah, I know. I feel weird reading it. I feel like I'm doxing somebody, but it's just like... <laughs> it is just their public profile, so Yeah, whatever. they made that decision. Um, this is by Letterboxd user Ben Kinney Harris. Um, it's a bad day for Ben's um, he says you could fill a 1000 page book with all the important things that they left out of this fragmented piece of crumple horn snore crap but somebody already did and her name is JK Rowling (laughs) (laughs) so I guess this person is implying that there's a thousand pages worth of content that they left out of this film adaptation of Order of the Phoenix. Oh man, dude, that's uh, my name is Ally McMurray. <laughs> my name is Jackson McMurray. And this is No Nerds Allowed. And there's No Nerds Allowed. We switched it, but I, whatever. It's because God, dude, the, J.K. Rowling has never come close to writing a thousand-page book. Like that's not even <laughs> that's not even a thing she's done. Order of the Phoenix was the longest one. How long was that actually? I don't know. It's not a thousand pages. 